Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it has everything I need. And it does. So open your Bibles to the fifth chapter of Matthew. Now just, um, I hope that in the course of this week, something has gone through your mind. Like you know that you have an enemy that wants to tempt you, but you know that he is powerless if, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you are willing to take a faithful God and go to him, he will see to it you have a way of escape. No temptation is too great. So last week, I just hope that these words resonate, that you put them into practice when you know that that, uh, your enemy is appealing to your flesh and you are feeling that you want to get pulled in that direction because that's just normal, but that you fight back with, with the truth of the tools that God use, uses, his word, his Holy Spirit, because no temptation is too great if you look to the Lord for your way of escape because he is faithful. He does what he promises. We also talked about the difference between a temptation and a test to be aware that God does test also. He tests to make sure that we're just not words he wants to make sure that, that our life is changing to the fact that, that what we are learning, we are believing, and then we are obeying. But he's going to test us because it's easy to say that. So he will test us. So what is the difference between a temptation and a test? The test, you will allow the Lord to bring you closer to him. It will move you forward in your faith. This hardship can be a temptation of Satan because if you aren't careful, he will pull you away from the Lord. So how do you know? It's your choice. It is amazing how we, and we're going to see it in today's lesson, and we saw it so much last year, the Lord gives us two choices to either follow our own way or his way. And as he starts this Sermon on the Mount, I have studied the Beatitudes many times. I've, seen, I've read the Sermon on the Mount, but this was the first time I saw why he put the Beatitudes at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He is expecting you and I to, to utilize, to utilize his word, his, his spirit, the power of God's spirit to, to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. And these beatitudes, I mean, you, you've heard the little phrase, beatitude means a better attitude, and it's true. If you live by the beatitudes, it does give you a better attitude. But I want you to see where that comes from. It's not from we're getting better. It's we're, we're stepping aside and letting God's spirit take over more. And then out of us comes this kind of attitude and these kind of actions So he starts because he says, if I don't get you in the right frame of mind, because even though we're in Matthew 5, I'm sure you've seen Romans 12, 2 constantly come into being. This whole Sermon on the Mount is do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be changed. 
We need a new thought and purpose. We, we, we need to be different. And when you gain the Beatitudes as your new attitude, you will watch the ability to be able to follow these commands that are really so hard. They go against your human grain because we want our way. And they are about as black and white as they come. And our society, our, our new kind of Christianity has graded it because we want it to say the way we want it to say it. And so we have not taken the black and white. I'll tell you, this week it was really a struggle for me because, you know, these commands are just that, black and white. And, and I kept pleading with the Lord if he would just make me bold and brave because I, I love this class. I want to keep it this size. And I just want to have it growing. But if I keep pouncing and I keep saying the black and white truth, I'm so afraid. But see, all of a sudden I realized what I was doing. I was concerned about me. I don't want it to change. I, I, want, I think this is a great class. Um, I don't want you to be mad at me. And all of a sudden I realized, do you, do you hear yourself? And all my, all my concerns, it was all about me. And I think, no, my job is just to make sure you hear the black and white. But the only way that we can really take it without, without working our little gray color in there is by being transformed with a better frame of mind, with being run by God's spirit instead of our own self. And this is what the Beatitudes does. It puts self aside. So, blessed. Je Jesus took the crowds on the mountainside and his disciples too. This was new for them as well. They had to learn this too. And he began to teach them. And he started with the word blessed. I will make it worth your while. If you, if you want to hear a definition of what the Lord's blessing is. It's, it has nothing to do with things of this world. It has to do with something far more that will lead into all eternity. It's, it's like what Paul said in Ephesians 1. We've been blessed from the heavenly realms. And he uses words like joy and peace and redemption and grace and salvation. I mean, all those words, they don't, none of those words come from this world. And so when he says, I will bless you, he's going to give us what this world can't give. And it will be so worth our while. And so when he says, I will bless you, if you are poor in spirit, and there was a typo, and even though it's little, it was huge, and you've got to change it right away. And that's turn the capital S into a little s. Because I'm sure that was confusing. We, he said, I will bless you if you are poor in spirit. And that's the first one because that means I will bless you if you put self in its proper place. If you, if you put self aside and you want to hear the truth, and you're going to hear him say so many times, I tell you the truth, but you are not going to hear that truth if self is in the way. So right off the bat, he starts with, I will bless you if you learn to put self out of the way. I will, because look what he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know what the kingdom of heaven is? It starts with a relationship with our Savior, and then it eventually leads into a place for all eternity. 
But right now he's saying if you put yourself aside, then you you will start experiencing a relationship with me, and this starts the ball rolling. But to me, I thought, no wonder he started with that one first, because that's the biggest to get herself out of the way. So the Holy Spirit then can can re can re reform, transform, whatever word you want to use, want to transform your mind. Look, I will bless you if you are willing to mourn. I will make it so worth your while if you mourn for your sins. If you don't take, if you take it seriously, if you, and how many times don't you hear me say it, and I'm going to keep saying it, and I'm not a bit embarrassed to keep saying it. That day of our salvation, it is the hardest day because all of a sudden we are finally face to face with ourselves, and we hate it and we mourn for our patheticness and our sin and he said I will bless you what does he say I will comfort you where does he comfort you at the cross when you mourn for your sins and you take it to the cross what does he say there if you are faithful I will be faithful and just to forgive if you come and confess and, and, and repent. I am faithful and I will forgive you. You talk about an ultimate comfort to know that your sins are gone, that they're wiped under the blood, that he remembers them no more. But he said, you won't know that until I will, I will bless you if you see yourself the way you are. I will bless you if you are meek. I will bless you if you are meek. And again, it just keeps going. You stay humble before me. And I know that we think that that's easy to keep God on the throne and we stay in our place and we keep God in his. But that is not easy to do because we still love control. We still want to say. We still buck against that word surrender. And the second that we don't surrender and we think we can call the shots of our life, we have, we have removed God from the throne and put our own self there. So he said, hey, I will bless you. I will make it so worth your while if you stay humble before me and you let me be in control. And he says, for you will inherit, you will inherit the earth. In other words, you will have abundant life here. And then you'll be a part of the new heaven and the new earth there. You'll inherit all this if you just make sure that you stay in your place and you keep God in his. He said, but I will bless you if you hunger and thirst. If you hunger and thirst, if, if you have this longing, you come on Tuesday morning and you love it and, and, and you go out there and you see that every week a little bit more has changed and you're getting to be like Christ in a little bit more, more of a way and you start seeing less and less of yourself and how you rea- react to people and even the difficult people. You find that you're starting to change. But yet you hunger because you know, well, I got I to I keep staying in my Bible. I look forward to getting into my Bible. It's not a chore. I can't wait to see what he's got. I can't wait to see what Matthew 6 is going to say. I can't wait to hear what Matthew 7 is going to say. I can't wait to come on Tuesday. This isn't a hardship. This is a privilege because you are hungering and thirsting for more. 
And he said, I will bless you if you are not content with what you have, but you want to know more. He says, because you know what? If you want to live right, if you want to live more right every time you open up your Bible, he says, I will see to it. I can see your heart and I can see that you have a desire. You want to be right with me. And if you hunger and thirst for that kind of righteousness, I will see to it that every time you open your Bible and you take time with me, I will see to it that you will be so glad you did. You will be filled. But then you'll find, oh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need more later. That's the kind of longing and hungering and thirsting for doing what he wants. He said, that's what I want. And he says, blessed are you if you are merciful. In other words, the greatest teacher of mercy is Jesus himself. And he said, if this transfers because you took grace and mercy at the cross, if you now live out this grace and mercy to others, I will, I will make sure that it's so worth your while. When you put self aside and think of someone else before your own self, I, I will see to it that you are rewarded. I will see to it that you are shown mercy. Blessed, I will see to it that you are blessed if you are pure in heart. And you notice that I forgot that one in the list, but it's a very important one. Blessed are you if you care about what's going into your heart and you're responsible for that and you are in charge of that. You decide what goes into your heart. It's the decisions you make of what you're putting in because you know that what you put in is what's going to come out. So when you make an effort about making sure that something pure is going in, Paul talked about it too. Think on things that are, are pure and noble and right. It's very important what we're putting into our minds that goes into our heart that then comes out of our action. He wants us real. And he said, you are responsible. I will bless you if you will work at how much crud you keep out and how much good that you choose to put in. I will bless you if you are a peacemaker, if you care more about bringing unity and togetherness than you are about fighting and debating and being right and I mean, there are people that I think their lot in life is to just pick fights and just be disagreeable. And he is saying right away in this, in this beatitude, get a better attitude about this. Let the Holy Spirit show you that I'm the Prince of Peace. When you're at peace with me and with others, I will bless you for that. You will be called the sons of God. Of course you will be. The daughters of God. You'll be called mine because I am the prince of peace and now you're carrying out this same peace in your life. You'll be identified with me. Blessed are you. Now, now this gets a little tough because when you carry out all these better attitudes, when you are being transformed by God's Holy Spirit, when you are no longer 
like the world, when you are starting to be a little more peculiar, when you start to find that you are not compromising with right and wrong because you are more determined to stand up for God's truth than you are what people think. He said, "Um, let me just warn you about right now that I will bless you for that because um, not everybody's going to come to you and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? No, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. They're, not all people are going to, you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be called names and could be even worse. You could be tossed out of a job. You, there are just so many things. He's just starting to warn us. So he says, I just want you to be aware of this kind of change. Life is not always easy. Not everybody is going to look at you and want to come along. But that's their choice. But then he goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know, that, that again, it's just such a detailed warning. But the thing is, you know, I mean, it's hard enough when people have caught you at something you did do and exposed that, let alone when they accuse you of something you didn't do, especially for the sake of Christ. But he says, I just want this in your heart so the Holy Spirit can help you recall it. So when someone calls your name or misunderstands you or does something to you that's hurtful, that, that you will listen to God's Spirit saying, I told you, this isn't easy, but I will bless you because of it. I will make it worth your while. Look what he says. Look at the in verse 12. Look at the first verse after he talks about the persecution and the insults and the hardships and that that are going to come when you make a stand. We saw it happen to Jesus. We saw it happen to the apostles. And so right here, he wants us to see in the very next verse, he wants us to bring it right back. And what's the, what's the word he says? Rejoice. The root word of rejoice is joy. And there isn't any name, there isn't any insult, there isn't any persecution that can take away your joy. And so no matter what happens, you are doing the right thing, and he will see to it that you will have joy. And he says, and you can even be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, This is nothing new. And it really should show that you and I are on the right track. I mean, I went and reviewed Jeremiah a little bit. I went back and I just feel for that guy. He's not called the weeping prophet for nothing because he cried so much. Because he had a nation of Judah there. He had the kingdom of Judah that he tried and tried and tried to say to them, you better confess, you better repent, you better get your life back. Because if you don't, Babylon's coming and taking you into captivity. And you know what his response? You know what the people's response, the whole the whole book of Jeremiah was, yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't take God's word seriously. We're in the same thing today. 
They don't take black and white serious truth. And so sometimes people are, when you make a black and white statement, someone will maybe say to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just her again. Just remember Jeremiah, because he never stopped. But the thing was, guess what happened? Here comes the Babylonians. We've got to remember that God does what he says. And so here, he is just saying to you, it's not an easy life, but I'll so make it worth your while. And then he goes on and he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are. And all my studying, I never saw this till this year, till this week. You are the salt. But then after that, he says, here's your choice. Here's your two choices. You're going to be salty or you're going to be saltless. Or you're going to lose the flavor because you are salt. But what kind of salt is determined by you? And so, you know, again, if you like salt, and I do, I can really get this because he said, salt, to me, salt makes everything taste better. Everything. I mean, I can even have a dish that I do not like, but if I put enough salt on it, I can get it down. I mean, that's just how much I like salt. So I get this. He said, you can either make Jesus taste good through your life, through your, through your attitudes, through your countenance. You can make Jesus taste good or... You can lose your saltiness because you want to blend in, because you don't want to look different, because you just think it's far easier just to not rock the boat. You lose that saltiness. And then look what he says. It's of no use. You might as well throw it out and travel on it. If the salt doesn't do the job, so in the question when I asked, how can you be salt of the earth? For the first time as I answered that, as I looked at that, I had a different answer. I can either make, I can either make Jesus taste good or I'm good for nothing. So I'm either, I'm either full of flavor or I'm flavorless because I am salt. He has labeled me as salt but it's up to me what kind of salt I'm going to be. Again, just two choices. He doesn't make it complicated. Same kind of principle. You are the light of the world. Well, yeah, you are. I am too. Once you accept Jesus, he's the light. I am the light of the world. That light now lives in you. Now you are the light. But he says here, okay, you're the light, so are you going to be a, like a city set on a hill? And what a good, what a good picture that is. That no matter how dark the town is, all they have to do is look and there is, there is light. And what does light do? It brings people to the right place. Light will always bring you to the right place. We saw with the wise men, we've seen it on, on Jesus' head when the Holy Spirit came and enlightened him. 
We saw how even John the Baptist used the Old Testament prophets. They talked about the light. Every chapter has been talking about light. That's critical. Light is what brings us to the right place. And so he said, you are the light of the world. But you can either be lit up so people can see and you then have the, have the chance to be able to lead them to the right place because they see, because Peter said that, be ready with an answer when, when they come and ask you why you are the way you are. And you say, well, how do I know that they're going to come? If you have a better attitude and you're following those beatitudes, people are going to come. They don't come when you're blending in with the world because you don't have anything different than they do. But when you're a city set on a hill, when you are living out those beatitudes, when you are living out God's spirit instead of yourself, mark my words, people are going to ask you, why do you have the hope that you have? Why are you the way you are? And then what do you have a chance to do? Otherwise, look at the other alternative. You can take that light and because of self, fear, and things that I said to you that came to my mind this week. Oh, I want them to still come. Oh, I don't want them mad at me. Oh, oh. how embarrassing. But I'm willing to tell you because it sneaks up on you. He said, otherwise, you know what? You can take that light and you can put it right under a bowl. And we could have sung another little childlike song, this little light of mine. And they, that writer, whoever wrote that little child song, hiding under a bushel. And didn't, don't you just love it? What did the what will kids yell after that? No. no. Yeah, we might just have to sing that before we leave, because then you hear yourself say, "No, I'm not going to put my light under a bushel or a bowl." And I'm not going to let the enemy use in myself to blow it out because I care more about my feelings and what more people think of me than I do about what's standing for what's right and true. I love this 16th verse when he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, it's such a, it's such a picture because, okay, you're a city set on a hill. Someone comes to you because they need light because they're in the dark. They see light in you. So they come to you. You're able to share with them Jesus. You're able to walk with them to the cross. Woo. And together, together, you both glorify your Father in heaven because if it wasn't for his precious, unconditional, loving plan, you both would still be stinking lost. So that's why together, when you are a city set on a hill and someone comes to you and you are able to show them truth and you're able to share with them your story, Now, if they say no, that's their choice. But if they say yes, can you imagine that together you two are going to be glorifying the Father because you both are experiencing grace and mercy that we would neither one of us, neither one of you would have been able to know otherwise. That's why together you then praise the Father. 
So it's, it benefits you too because it reminds you again of what he did for you. And then Jesus goes on and says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And you'd be surprised how many people think. How many think that the Old Testament is obsolete? That they feel the Old Testament is, is irrelevant? How many people have thrown the Old Testament out thinking that it's old-fashioned and it's not useful anymore? So right away, right toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes sure I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He wants us to go back and see in the Old Testament that all those ceremonial laws, all those moral laws, all those spiritual laws were set in place to show the people that they needed someone and there was coming that someone, but until the perfect timing, they had to go through all these ceremonial things, all those moral laws, all those spiritual laws, the, the sacrificing of the little lamb, the Passover feast. They had to keep doing that. But the thing is, they had to keep doing it. They, they had to see that no matter what they did, they would never be able to do it perfectly. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? That's every one of us. We know that there's no way we could ever be right. We could be righteous without the sacrifice of Jesus. So that's why he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Because they couldn't, they couldn't follow every one of those 700 laws. They tried to appease with the sacrifice every year. We living on this side, there's no way we could ever been made right on our own. So we come to the cross of Christ and he did it fully, completely, once for all. The premise is the same. You know, I read an article about the Old Testament and, and this, this man that wrote it kind of gave, I, I like word pictures and he said the Old Testament is like a flower bud. And the New Testament is like the whole flower, totally blooming. Though it's all about the flower. The Old Testament, it's all about Jesus. But it's the bud. And then once Jesus comes, it just bursts into the full blooming flower. And he says, never despise the Old Testament and also never despise the Ten Commandments thinking that they're the same as those ceremonial laws, the moral laws that Jesus fulfilled. Do not think they're the same. The Ten Commandments are exactly that. They're commandments. There are fence that are around us to keep us in place. And he said, even though those commandments, because what, what does he said? Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees 
and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is now walking us into the truth about it all starts in the heart. And he is saying that I can see hearts. I can see the Pharisees. I can see the teachers of the law. Oh, they've got it all down. They've got all the words down. They got all that the so-called actions down. On the surface, it looks like they haven't missed a beat. But I can see their heart. And they are not righteous because that has not changed. You can be as superficial, you can be as outward surface as you want, and you can fool everybody. But the one in matters he doesn't fool. And so when he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses, I mean, it goes to your heart. It's real. You're starting to see life changes because of it. The commandments, no, they can't save us. And see, that was the thing with the Pharisees. They thought if they just, you know, if that's what made them worthy by all the rules and the laws that they kept, the way it looked from the outside. Now Jesus has taken us to deeper, and you're going to see it more and more as we're into this. But you have to make sure that you realize that the Ten Commandments don't change. They are... They, like I said, they are our fence to keep us. They show us our sin. They show us how quickly we fall into sin. It will always be our gauge. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. You've heard this. Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He's saying, you, you've heard not to murder. Yeah, you know that. I started an underlining with a different color every time Jesus said, no, but I tell you. In other words, he's taken us to another depth. You've heard not to murder. Oh, you all know that's not the thing to do because there's going to be punishment if you do. But he says, I'm going to take it. I'm going to show it. I'm going to tell you something even more, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't get that. I just didn't understand what that meant. And so I pondered, and I thought, and I thought, and I waited, and I waited. So I'm going to put it in these terms and see, and you can take it for what's it, what it's worth. But again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, you're stupid. Now, how many of you ever did that when you were a kid? See, and who would come running? When they heard you call a sibling stupid, I mean, I can still see it. My mom would be coming with that paddle because we were not supposed to say the word stupid. 
but sometimes my brothers were just plain stupid. <laughs> and so then it was punishable by the Sanhedrin, which was my mother. <laughs> and she would say to me, now you tell them you're sorry. And I would, I would say, I'm sorry. While inside my mind, which she couldn't see, the Sanhedrin couldn't see. Sanhedrin couldn't see my mind. But inside my mind, I'm saying, but you are stupid. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what he's trying to get us to see. You said you're sorry. The paddle went back in the drawer. Everything's nice because you said you're sorry. Ah, the Lord said, I saw you. I heard what you said. Not out loud. I heard you say, yeah, you're still stupid. I think this is what he's saying. He's saying, just how many of you, you say such nice things and you put that smile on your face and everybody thinks you're the nicest person in the world and you get home and you just have at it. And that person that you just were so nice to and smiled at and gave such a nice compliment to, well, you know what? The Lord said, I hear that. I saw that. You are not real. What a phony. And that's why he put it into words. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <laughs> you better take a look to see if you're the real deal or you've just been playing religious games, thinking that I better say and do because I don't want to be punishable by the Sanhedrin. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. <laughs> Have you ever known that there's something you've got to make right and yet you think, but I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to read my Bible for a whole hour. Or, I'm just going to pray for a long time. <gasps> or, you know what I think I'm going to do? So-and-so needs a chicken casserole today. <laughs> and, and silently, secretly, you're saying to the Lord, did you see that? Now, did that, did that settle our score? I read my Bible for an hour. I prayed like crazy. And I even made the chicken casserole. Now, how about it? Are we even? According to this, no, it's not even. In fact, this is where Old Testament and New Testament come together. I remember God saying, I would rather have obedience rather than sacrifice. I would rather have you obey me now, did he say, oh, you don't have to offer the gift to me? No, he says, go, go do what you have to do first, then come back and offer your gift, and then I'll be ready to accept it. Oh. See, this is black and white, and I think we have played with God long enough, and he's saying, I see, I see, I hear, and I want to nip this 
because I want you real. I don't want self, because you know what? You're not poor in spirit right now. That big old self is standing in the way of my spirit from working. See, that's why the Beatitudes are at the beginning before all this. And then he says, okay, now I want you to settle matters quickly with your adversary. Now he says that because then he goes on by saying, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taken you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way or he may be hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. What he said to me that was, is Linnell, I want you to settle matters quickly because if you don't, it will come back to bite you. In other words, just get it done. Just do it. Because the consequences are going to be there. Just do the right thing. Do what I tell you. I'll be there the whole time with you. I'll never leave. I promised you that my spirit will give you the right words, the strength and the courage. Just do it. Because if you don't, Then he goes on. He said, you've heard this. You've heard it this way. Do not commit adultery. Oh, yeah. See, what he's doing, he's saying, I still love my Ten Commandments. They are still right on the money. But now I'm going to take you deeper into those commandments. It isn't just about the surface murder. It isn't, it isn't just the fact that you take a knife or a gun. I'm telling you that sometimes you can murder people even the way you're thinking about them and the way you're talking about them, even though you're smiling at them when you're face-to-face with them. And then he says the same thing here. I know the commandment says do not commit adultery, and everybody knows what that is. He said, but I'm going to tell you that it starts before it comes into a full-fledged action. I keep thinking of David. He's such a good example. I mean, we all know about David and Bathsheba. Oh, we've got the whole thing pictured in our mind. But the whole thing, none of that. Uriah would have never even been murdered. If David didn't have the wrong frame of mind to start with. You go into that story. He was disobedient to the Lord. I don't want to go to war. I know in the springtime that's what we do, but I don't want to. I'm David. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. And so he did. I'll tell you, you start on that road. So this is what Jesus is trying to say about the Ten Commandments. I know you can even quote them, but I know that you're still thinking about the, 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 the surface action that has come out. Well, I want you starting about when it's already a thought. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. 
so in his heart. No, yeah, so whosoever our heart's doing it, you've already, if you've thought it, you've done it. Even though it hasn't come out in an action yet. And it's kind of like we live in this world, and it is quite the world. So you can't help it when a naughty little bird flies over your head. I mean, I think, though, I think of some of the things that I watch and that, and I think about the new fashion nowadays, and I think about how short things are, how low things are. And then I also know that, that I, even though I adore my husband, I know a good-looking man when I see one. I mean, come on. We live in this world. Our eyes are going to see, our ears are going to hear. And our self is going to pull. And we have got a split second to decide what we're going to do. We can't help it that that naughty little bird just flew over. But you got a split second to decide. you got one of two choices. Am I going to let that bird make a nest in my hair? Or am I going to let that bird take off? Because I'm going to take that thought captive to my Lord and Savior. That's why he goes on and says, I mean, he's not talking about you gouging out an eye or cutting off an arm. But he's saying, I know how hard it is and how painful it is to say no to something that you want to do, that you know is going to make you feel good. And even though my mom used to always say, just remember, five minutes, is, five minutes of fun can ruin a lifetime. When you're in the five minutes, you're not thinking about a lifetime. And this is what Jesus is trying to get you to see. It's going to be painful to say no. And, and maybe this is for an, for an example. Maybe it's something that you enjoy doing, a place you like to go, or maybe certain people you like to be with, but you know that it is not good for you. And he's saying, it's going to be painful to say, you know what, I just don't belong here. Maybe it's going to be painful if you've watched a show on TV and you, you just love it, but all of a sudden you've noticed that it's starting to kind of get you because you're thinking, this is awful. Jesus is saying, you know what, it's going to be kind of painful for you to say, I'm turning this off. And then, when you've watched it for so long, you think, oh, it's Tuesday night at so-and-so. Goodness sakes, my show's on. Nope. So he's just saying, it is not always easy. But he's saying, I'm telling you, you're better off having the pain now to get rid of it because you might think it's so subtle and so, so not so serious. But it can take you down the wrong road. And if he's challenging you with it, and he's expecting obedience. I'm telling you, I mean, he put a look at, I am in the one where he says, uh, you've, if you say to someone, you fool, you, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. I mean, that was serious, wouldn't you say? You mean just about what, what I'm thinking in my head? He's saying, yeah, I want you rid of it. I want a transformation of your mind. You haven't taken this serious. So I better put it in language that, that you do. Same thing 
in verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What? He's saying, I'm trying to clean you up because I want you real. I want you to be a city on the hill. I want people to be able to come to you because you, you're going to lead them to the right place. I want you to make Jesus taste so good. So there's some few things I got to get cleaned up. And aren't you glad he doesn't do it all at once, but he does do it one at a time. Okay, verse 31. It has been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, that was, I mean, back in Moses' day, back in Moses' day, I mean, those poor gals, if they, if they burnt the biscuits, they were issued a certificate of divorce and they were out of there. You know, we laugh about that, but you know what? I think today it's gotten just about as ridiculous. And it's called irreconcilable differences. Oh, I don't really have one thing. I just don't like them anymore. I mean, you're starting to hear these kinds of things, and you're hearing the statistics 50-50 in Christians as well as the world. And so something's wrong, and that is they're not taking Scripture seriously. And I know this is a hard one, but Jesus said in Genesis 2:24, I meant it. I'm taking two people, and I'm, and I'm making them one. And if you make a vow to me, and I've made you one, you can have all the little decrees that Michigan has to give. You call it divorce. But the reason why it's still adultery is because in my eyes, you're still married. You vowed that to me. And what he's trying to do is, he's trying to get young people, us, to not throw in the towel. I'm, I'm telling you, if I can tell you how many times I would have loved to throw Tom out on his ear, there, there's no number high enough. But the thing is, I think he has more. There's more times he would like to throw in me. This is, this is an institution that is not easy. It is not easy. So, but, but what does God say? You put me in the middle of it? I will, I will rekindle love. I will show you what unconditional love is, even when they're not even likable sometimes. He is just trying to say, I'm going to put it in a short little thing here, but I want you to think about it. This is serious. Kids that are getting married need to know this. He takes it serious. But then in saying that, because I know there are many second marriages, and you, you read something like this. I had someone Thursday because she didn't want to hear it because of her situation. She stayed home. And I'm sorry about that. Because I do believe that I can take a look at, at some marriages and I can see they weren't, they didn't know the Lord. They weren't walking with the Lord. They might have thought they were, but it was all about self. And so when it didn't work, I still go back to the verse. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and he's just to forgive. And what also? Cleanse. 
And I think sometimes of how maybe, maybe some, some of these marriages, they're under the blood. Those first marriages are under the blood. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does the Lord remove our transgressions from us. So I'm not making light of this passage because I do think that we've gotten ourselves way too flippant about an institution that God meant to stick. But also, if you really didn't even know, oh, you might have been sitting in church or whatever, I'm telling you, between you and that person, I bet you could say, I really didn't know the Lord. I wasn't living according to his word. I didn't have the Beatitudes forefront in my life. I was listening to myself all the time, not the Holy Spirit. And that is called sin, and I believe that goes under the blood. So, but don't think for a second it doesn't take those, those verses seriously. Okay, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Look, here's another, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Do not swear at all. You know what? You know what Jesus is saying here? Would you stop swearing on your mother's grave? Would you stop swearing on a stack of Bibles? People that say that. Like, if you don't swear, that means your word isn't that good. Jesus said, I, I don't want you to have to say that because I want you to live a life of respect and integrity and a good name that when people hear you say yes, they know your yes means yes and your no means no. And you don't have to say, I swear. He said, no, make your life count so that people can trust you. That you're a woman, a man of integrity and your word is good and it's trustworthy. Nuts to this swearing stuff. Okay, you've said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Oh, we love that. that. That is our excuse to be able to revenge. You did to me, so I'm doomed to you. You hurt me, I hurt you. Too bad we couldn't just leave it there. But Jesus says, but now I'm going to tell you. I got a whole different way of looking at things. I have a whole different way of drawing people to the light. And that's called unconditional love. I'm going to tell you, don't resist an evil person. And if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. I'm telling you, my human nature right about now is saying absolutely impossible. And that's why Jesus then comes back and feeds my mind with, that's why I started with the better attitude, with the transformation of your mind by God's spirit, because only he can do it in you. Turn the other cheek. Take it. If they want to borrow, let them borrow. 
if they want you to go a mile, go with them too. You know what I think he's saying here? Because I think some of us spiritual folk think that we get a little, we better, we better show tough love and we slam the door shut. I don't think, I think Jesus is saying, don't ever shut a door. No matter what they've done, don't ever shut a door. Because once a door's shut, how are they going to hear? How are they going to see? You keep doors open. That doesn't mean you condone. It just means you are going to love unconditionally. Because you know what? That's what Jesus did for you and me. We didn't deserve it. He kept the door open for us to finally come to our senses. He never once said, well, you know what? I gave her enough chances. That's it. See, that's where I have a hard time with, um, what do they call that? Uh, when you don't buy something from somebody, um, boycott. That's the word I was looking for. I, I never really got into boycott because I, I know that sounds, well, I want to show my point. I want to show that... I'm saying keep the door open. We've got to make sure that there's ample opportunity for them to see something different in us. And it's called better attitude, transformation of mind, Holy Spirit led. Being a peculiar person, that's what a Christian is, not following the ways of the world. How are they going to know what it looks like to be different? to be forgiven. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, we love that too. See, gives me excuse. If I don't like someone who's like me or someone who's hurt me or um, maybe a government official or whatever, fill in your own blank. I, I can just hate them. Do you see that today? Do you see hate today? Do you see it even in, in so-called Christians' mouths? You hear hate. I, I love it. I circled it. I underlined it with my pink crayon. But I tell you, you don't have that excuse anymore. You've heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but Jesus said, I, I got something new because I'm going to take it deeper in you. I'm going after the, the heart here. You love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Is that humanly possible? No. That's why you need a better attitude. Are you getting my point? That's why he starts with those. Because when you are run by God's spirit and you are being blessed by God himself because you're willing to obey, you can love your enemies and you can pray for those who are hurting you so that you may be sons or daughters of your Father in heaven. And here's, here's a line where he says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We all know what that verse means. 
And every one of us, we know that, that the sun rises on, on the just and the unjust and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But you know what we still want to say in our own human power? But it's not fair. We still want to say it's not fair. It's not right that we try so hard and this is what happens and they don't seem to try at all and look at all they get. It's just not fair. Whenever I am tempted, because that's human nature, when you're tempted, when I just can, when that little thought comes over my mind, because I can't help it, guess what? I can't help it that the thought goes over my head because I'm still a sinful human being. However, I got a split second to decide what I'm going to do with that thought. And I can choose to go to the thought, the truth that says, I came one time to save and I'm coming the second time to judge. And I'm going to right every wrong. And I'm going to make fair everything that was unjust. I'm living in that prophecy that I'm holding on tight to. So instead of saying, it's not fair, it's not right, I don't deserve, this does He said, I know, I see it. And I'm, I'm going to make all things right. I'm going to come back someday and I'm going to right every wrong. It's hard to wait, but he said, I'll make it worth your while. I'll make it worth your while. So I think that's what he's saying right there. Because then he brings it back to, to reality here. He says, come on, think about it. If you love those who love you and do everything the way you do, and you've got your little circle, he said, what reward will you get for that? That doesn't take any work. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? I love the way Matthew put that in there, didn't you? I love the way when Jesus said that, Matthew thought, I'm writing that one down. Because he knew, he knew what it was like to be a tax collector. And he couldn't have been any more pagan than he was. And he said, oh, yeah, I love those who love me. So he, he put that in there. He understood that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Oh, you only say hi to those people that are like you and that who you know? And he puts it right in her face. Guess what? I don't consider, you know, maybe you're, you're real nice to those people. Well, that's not enough. I want you to reach out that maybe aren't so nice. Look what he says. This is how he ends it. Be perfect. And I know that a lot of people, they just automatically, they, they write that off, they close their ears, they shut their mind because they see that word perfect. There's no way. Jesus wouldn't have said that if he didn't mean it. And he said, my goal for my children, and I've given you the tools, and no temptation is too great, and even yourself isn't too great. If you have the greater power that's within you, it's your call. And I want to see who really means business here. And if you follow me, I'm leading you forward on the road to perfection. 
perfection. Instead of you going backward to your slippery slope of self and evil and disgust and down and defeat. It's okay, which one do you want? Which direction do you want to be heading in? And he said, and I'm telling you, as you listen to the Sermon on the Mount, my teaching of how I want you to live, and I started with the greatest tool ever, my very spirit that can transform your mind, none of this will be that difficult at all. Because you're striving. You've got me in your vision. You've got me by your side. And if you believe that, it's black and white. Have a good week.